0: This is The Guardian.
1: Today, have we already lost the global race to make AI safe?
2: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. In the
1: 1940s, in an estate called Bletchley Park, north of London, a group of British scientists worked for years to crack a code called Enigma that Nazi Germany was using to encrypt its most secretive communications. You probably know this story. They were led by a mathematician called Alan Turing, who, in his too short life, helped to imagine into existence the modern computer, computer programming, and the idea of a machine that didn't even need to be programmed. One with the power to think and learn by itself. So much like a person that we might not even know we were talking to a computer. Now, we call that idea artificial intelligence. And eight decades after Turing proposed it, it's bringing world leaders back to Bletchley Park for a summit starting today. Because the promise of AI, its power to automate work, To help discover new drugs, to write songs or provide emotional care or spot the signs of diseases that we wouldn't have discovered for decades are exactly the same things that make it so good at putting huge amounts of people out of work, filling our timelines with lies or even one day deciding it doesn't need humans around at all. And so, politicians like Rishi Sunak, tech bosses like Elon Musk, and leading thinkers and lawmakers from around the world are gathering for the next two days to kickstart a conversation on how to bring AI under control, if that's still possible. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, is the first summit on AI already too late? Dan Milmo, you're The Guardian's technology editor, and you're going to be at this summit in Bletchley Park today. But the road to the summit itself is pretty interesting. Not long ago, Rishi Sunak was almost trying to sell us on AI.
3: Take artificial intelligence, once the stuff of science fiction, now it's reality, and we are a global leader. The steam engine. Kicked off the industrial revolution. Computers delivered automation. The internet brought information exchange. And as the latest general purpose technology, AI has the potential to transform whole economies and societies.
1: And now he's opening a global summit on the threats posed by the technology. So what's got him so concerned?
4: Well, the most immediate threat is the Pope in a Puffer jacket, which is an image created by the AI image generator called Midjourney. You know, it's quite an amusing photo. It's uh, Pope Francis in a Balenciaga puffer jacket. But it was very convincing. And I think it showed the power of AI-generated disinformation, which is deliberately created to cause harm and misinformation when people just sort of accidentally share factually incorrect stuff online Mm -hmm. because they've essentially fallen for it. So the immediate threat from AI-generated content is here now. That is extremely convincing text, extremely convincing images, and extremely convincing voice.
2: It's the photos sweeping social media that's fooling everyone. Pope Francis wearing a stylish white puffer jacket. Many are only learning now that it's a fake.
4: I mean, there's been quite a few that people will either have seen or, or won't struggle to find on social media one example is fake pictures of donald trump being arrested
2: in new york that went viral in march fake donald trump arrest images hit social media the former president grappling with nypd officers weeping in court as he's sentenced and look melania is having a total meltdown
4: i mean you know, all he had to do was Google to check, hang on, has he been arrested and started fighting with law enforcement officers? No, he wasn't. But nonetheless, those pictures went round the world pretty quickly. The tablet. For sake. In the UK recently, there was a deep fake voice uh, recording, which was debunked immediately, of the leader of the opposition, Sir Keir Starmer, being rude uh, to an aide. I remember that.
2: Just shut your mouth.
4: Those are early examples of that sort of manipulation, and you've got to imagine that there will be more of them as uh, people get more you know, used to manipulating these tools.
1: And so is that the risk we're talking about, that kind of fake content, or are there other ways that AI might be used or misused for political purposes?
4: The documents refer to hyper-targeted, bespoke disinformation, where people are sent very misleading content, whether text or image based or both, based on a, a sort of assessment of perhaps the, a profile built from their social media activity. And the concern is that AI tools are able to produce that at scale, at great volume. So, targeted bespoke um, emails, for instance, sent to every individual on the electoral register, that could be used to, say, influence voters in the northeast com- of the UK compared with, say, Voters in London, or even at a more granular level than that.
1: I mean, it sounds like it could be so granular that it wouldn't even be about voters in the northeast. It could be about an individual person, the things that they really care about, and and pushing their political buttons.
4: Yeah, that seems to be the scenario that the government is alluding to um, in these reports, and it's a scenario that experts have have raised with me.
1: We're talking in the year before elections scheduled in the UK, in the US, in India. How far from reality is the kind of personalized disinformation that you're telling us about?
4: We haven't seen it yet, and some people i have spoken to say it's, you know, it requires a, an amount of coordination and effort that might be beyond some rogue actors. Nonetheless, we're sort of approaching this phase where theory has got a greater chance of meeting practice.
1: Another one of the more immediate concerns around AI, in fact, one that the experts say is a reality today, is the issue of bias. So unpack that for me. How is ChatGPT biased and what could the consequences of that be?
4: Well, the concerns about large language models, which are the technology that underpin chatbots like ChatGPT and Google's BARD, are trained on the entire contents of the internet. Now, vast bits of the internet, as we know, contain... Uh, unpleasant things and bias statements or generally just data that is shows a bias on multiple levels that's ingested Mm. that's ingested by these large language models and then produces outputs in these chatbots potentially so the concern is that ai tools such as chatbots will produce biased opinions or allegedly factual responses but also that. The same sort of technology can be used to produce biased outcomes in jobs application programs or when assessing people's benefit claims and it's very difficult to tell if those tools are biased because it's quite difficult to find out what data they've been trained on mm. so you just get an outcome and you don't know whether it's showing biases in terms of race ethnicity gender etc okay.
2: earlier this year a black woman who was eight months pregnant at the time
3: was wrongly arrested for carjacking based on facial recognition technology.
4: There's already been a few examples of bias in AI systems. There's an algorithm used in US court systems uh, to predict the likelihood that a defendant would become a recidivist, and it was found to predict twice as many false positives for recidivism for black offenders than than white offenders. Amazon also had trouble with an AI-assisted hiring program that found it was biased against women.
1: So another of
4: the concerns that
1: are raised in the immediate term is what this all might do to people's jobs. So what does the summit have to say about that?
4: The documents produced ahead of the summit do reference jobs disruption, areas that could immediately be affected, financial, legal, IT. But they also say there could be an effect where a net benefit where jobs that are disrupted or automated away are replaced by new ones sort of citing the fact that this is how historically the jobs market has progressed when it's encountered innovation of of various kinds there's certainly in terms of the short to medium term risks there's not much evidence of immediate seismic disruption in the jobs market at all but you could see over the next 18 months that seems to be one of the warnings from regulators and politicians that i've been hearing is that the jobs market disruption could come and it could come quite quickly
1: Okay, so we're talking about being flooded in misinformation, about building a digital world riddled with the same bias as our world and the potential for all of us to be out of jobs. What else should we be afraid of by 2025?
4: Well, between now and 2025, and this is one of the key reasons why this summit has been called, is there are concerns that new AI models, new large language models, which underpin generative AI tools like chatbots will emerge and will be much, much more powerful than the ones even now in existence that are impressing us and leaving us in a state of awe. That new ones are going to emerge and they're going to have capabilities that are unexpected and will have therefore unexpected consequences.
1: What sort of capabilities? When you say unexpected capabilities, what do we fear they may do?
4: There's definitely a concern that models could help create novel bioweapons and chemical weapons. Wow. That those capabilities are going to emerge pretty soon. There's already studies showing that you can discuss with unnamed chatbots how you might go about the process of trying to assemble a bioweapon or a chemical weapon. Not giving you the ingredients, but nonetheless some of the sort of actions that you might need to take. So the concern is that that future models will show emergent behaviors, i.e. just unexpected abilities to help rogue actors build bioweapons and chemical weapons and that you could use for instance uh, sort of robot labs remote labs to help build those as well just sort of send off the instructions and mm. hey presto you've got a bioweapon
3: get this wrong an ai could make it easier to build chemical or biological weapons terrorist groups could use ai to spread fear and destruction on an even greater scale criminals could exploit AI for cyber attacks, disinformation, fraud, or even child sexual abuse.
4: These are all scenarios, obviously, but nonetheless, they're ones that are entertained by governments, regulators, and even, you know, the tech firms themselves.
1: I mean, you sound very calm discussing this near future that, I have to admit, to me, it sounds pretty terrifying,
4: Dan. Well, an important thing to note is that there seems to be a broad spectrum of opinion here. I think a good example is two of the three Godfathers of modern AI, Geoffrey Hinton and Yoshua Bengio, are very clear that they think there's an existential threat from AI.
0: The man, widely seen as the godfather of artificial intelligence, has quit his job at Google, warning of the dangers of AI. Dr.
4: But on the other hand, the third of those godfathers, Jan LeCun, who is now at Mark Zuckerberg's Meta, developing AI products, he says that is preposterous. So there's quite a lot of divergent opinion out there, I would say.
1: OK, so... The godfathers of AI are split on whether the thing that they've helped to create will destroy humanity. But let's talk about what that threat actually is. When people say that AI poses an existential threat, what do they
4: mean? Well, when they say it poses an existential threat, one thing they're particularly pointing to is uh, so-called artificial general intelligence. Uh, This is a system that is able to perform a an array of tasks at either human or above human levels of intelligence so it would be able to for instance manipulate or hide its intentions and that such a system might not have human interests at heart when it makes decisions or goes about its business so the concern is that if an AGI emerges with those capabilities that it'd be very difficult to rein in and will cause havoc the government's referred to an AGI getting hold of financial markets or having some sort of role in weapons. They still think this is a scenario that may or may not happen, but it's something that needs to be mitigated.
1: But how exactly would that happen? Unpack that scenario for me, where something that's like ChatGPT JPT, but 100 times smarter, might be able to take over the financial markets, for example.
4: Well, a concern is that such a system would be able to replicate itself; therefore, be able to evade control. To simply put, be able to avoid being switched off, and then also it would be able to improve itself. It will have the means of actually making itself more and more powerful by training itself and building more sophisticated architecture.
1: Hmm. This may be a naive question, but why would a super intelligent AI want to do something that would potentially destroy humanity?
4: Well, there's one interesting, scary example. Uh, raised a few years ago by Stuart Russell, a professor of computer science at the University of California, Berkeley. He pointed to a potential situation in which the UN asked an AI system to come up with a, you know, a self-multiplying catalyst to deacidify the oceans. But he carried instructions, and those instructions were uh, the outcome's got to be non-toxic and that no fish are harmed. But... The result uses up a quarter of the oxygen in the atmosphere and subjects humanity to a slow and painful death as a result. Now, Russell's point here is you know, the AI systems following, following those guidelines, but from its point of view, eliminating humans is a feature, not a bug, because it ensures that the oceans stay in uh, a pristine state.
1: So these things are so powerful that the instructions you give them are incredibly important because they're going to follow the instructions. They're going to do what you asked. And if those instructions don't take into account the fact that you shouldn't deprive humanity of oxygen, the AI doesn't know that. It's going to do what it takes to de acidify the oceans.
4: Yeah, and if you sort of read the government report last week, it sort of states out that AI developers specify a learning process for these systems they don't you know it's not like you're building software and you can precisely describe instructions for specific behaviors you know this is why the phrase black box is used for powerful ai systems you don't quite know what's going on inside them so it's difficult to just say right do this don't do that
1: that seems astonishing to me that these systems that we've created are so powerful so complicated that Not even we, not even the people involved in designing them, can really understand how they work.
4: I think there are obvious analogies with J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was aware of the potential power of um, what he'd discovered,
1: which was the nuclear the nuclear bomb,
4: yeah, and he went on to to make the nuclear bomb and then campaigned for years afterwards for its regulation and the sort of mitigation of its mm. of its use and AI is very similar to that. You know, some very clever people have helped produce breakthroughs in this technology. And now we're sort of saying, well, we need to if not rein it in, at least put in place guardrails to prevent it from spinning out of control.
0: More than 1300 tech industry leaders, researchers and others are now asking for a pause in the development of artificial intelligence to consider the risks.
1: Coming up, that's the threat we face. So, what's this summit going to do about
2: it? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?
0: and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash today in focus today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, slash today in focus.
1: Let's talk about the way that this summit is trying to build in those guardrails. This thing goes for two days at Bletchley Park. What is it planning to do to at least begin this conversation?
4: It's going to produce a, a lot of ideas and a lot of discussion, which you know isn't necessarily a bad thing, given that there's very important people in the room, from Rishi Sunak to the US Vice President Kamala Harris, to the President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, to the tech bosses themselves, you know, the heads of Google, DeepMind, Anthropic, OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT. So at least ideas will be cast around. Already this week, we've seen that the White House issue an executive order on AI, requiring companies producing the most powerful and potentially dangerous models to share their safety test results with the US government before they're released. We've got the UK last week announced the establishment of an AI safety institute, which it hopes will show some sort of global leadership in the field of testing models and finding out what their potential harms are. Will you compel big tech companies to make the code of their models available?
3: these are all the types of conversations that we need to have with the companies and that's why it's so important at the summit next week we're involving not just countries but we're involving all the leading ai companies and researchers and policy experts
4: and also at the summit this week and i think this is a a good analogy the uk is going to propose the formation of a ai equivalent of the intergovernmental panel on climate change which will produce an annual report by experts, uh, an attempt to form consensus on where AI development is and how threatening it could be.
1: So in the same way as the IPCC tries to establish a gold standard for climate science, Rishi Sunak is proposing scientists get together and try to establish a consensus on the safety of AI.
4: Yeah, that would be the idea. And that's something that Sunak's going to propose. But obviously, everyone in the room or the governments in the room have to give it their support it certainly seems to be one of the most obvious successes that could emerge from this summit but also generally does all the discussion in the room point towards there being more of a slowdown in AI development and I think that will be a very difficult thing to achieve given that all the governments attending might not have the same view on the scale of the threat and certainly the the Mm. tech companies there might not think that slowing down development is either good for their shareholders or is something that will not achieve any effect because other companies will ignore it and continue developing their models at pace. This is the scenario known as the sort of race to the bottom.
1: What is the view of these big tech companies on the danger posed by the products they're creating and the measures we should put in place to stop these things from happening?
4: They certainly seem to talk quite a good game, but if you examine it closely, they've got different views meta for instance is going down the pathway of open source which is where you release your ai models to the public and they can be sort of adjusted and sort of tweaked by members of the public to you know create different effects and that uh, according to one expert dame wendy hall the uk she said that was like giving people the sort of recipe for making nuclear weapons but nonetheless meta are attending the summit and Google DeepMind says that addressing the existential risk from AI should be treated with the same degree of seriousness as climate change. Nonetheless, they're still pursuing uh, the development of a model called Gemini that's going to be more powerful than its predecessors. So, I think it's going to be very difficult to get the tech companies to agree to a pause because there's no means of doing so.
1: I mean, is there? any means of not getting them to agree but forcing them to agree to regulate their products via legislation
4: yeah legislation is certainly an option but if the government's concerned uh, about what's going to happen in 12 to 18 months time that's probably optimistically the time frame for drafting and putting through various legislative bodies any legislation that might rein them in so it kind of feels like sometimes the the options that the uk and other governments have is a sort of a sort of soft power approach where they just ask companies to adopt these guidelines and just not push the envelope too far. Please don't destroy the world. Yeah, please don't destroy the world. We're in a situation that is sort of analogous to uh, what happened with social media. You know, in 2004, uh, Facebook was founded and it's only now Sort of 19 years later in the UK and the EU, that we've got the Online Safety Bill and the Digital Services Act to address the problems that have been caused by social media. And you sort of feel like you're in the same situation again with AI. That said, we've got this safety summit. Uh, The EU's already producing the AI Act, and the White House has produced this executive order on AI. So action's been taken much, much quicker. But generally, You do tend to see the tech industry moving faster than governments. You know, that's an age-old problem that companies in the private sector can move much quicker.
1: How easy is it for governments or for the EU to regulate AI if Not every country in the world is jumping on board. So I'm thinking, for example, of a country like China. How do you regulate AI safety in the UK if if China isn't on board, if they're not doing the same thing with their own AI companies?
4: Yeah, it's one of the sort of counter arguments against regulation is, but China. China has got tremendously capable tech sector, as we all know, when you you know you think of established global brands like TikTok, but it's got very, very talented computer scientists. It obviously produces a vast amount of data, which enables training of very powerful models. But it's also produced some pretty tough regulations over the past few months, because China is concerned about, the Chinese government is concerned by the sort of threat to control that unmitigated AI development poses. Nonetheless, the uh, let's call it competitive threat from china that is perceived by tech companies and by some governments threatens to loosen any drive to have tough ai regulation i e you know perhaps it's best if we develop the powerful models before china develops the most powerful m- models and that sort of approach it stops the brake pedal being pushed too hard
1: i mean you were talking about robert oppenheimer and the nuclear bomb and i can't help but see the analogy Governments want to control these weapons, but some governments also want to make sure that if this power exists, we should have it.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I think one way of looking at it is the sort of flip side. So there have been tremendous advances in life sciences, thanks to, say, Google DeepMind's AlphaFold product, which sort of predicts the structure of every protein known to mankind. You know th- these are fantastic breakthroughs, but also the flip side uh, ends up straying into you know bioweapons, etc. Chat GPT, absolutely fantastic at things like translating uh, between languages, parsing documents, etc. But chatbots could be used to produce this hyper targeted disinformation, which the government referred to last week. So all these tools have got great capabilities and great opportunities, but the flip side is that that can ov- obviously go in the other direction, and that's the issue here. Is it's using AI for good. It's very difficult to think about that with uh, instantly flipping to the the AI for bad scenario, because in many ways, they're two sides of the same coin.
1: If we're going to prevent the kinds of dangerous scenarios you've laid out to us over the next five years, 10 years beyond, how big is the window to get the regulation or the guardrails in place? How much time do we have here?
4: Well, depending on who you speak to, the reason why Bletchley is happening is that obviously Rishi Sunak has been convinced that the window is perhaps 12 to 18 months.
1: Hmm. That's not much time.
4: Uh, no, it's it's not much time at all. What they're hoping is that this AI Safety Summit becomes an annual thing, bolstered by potentially in a, you know, an annual IPCC-style report, and that at least more momentum is built in one direction towards an agreement on what sort of regulations need to be put in place and in the other direction to hopefully a slowdown in AI development, which I personally don't think is that likely. But they feel that the window is narrow, and that's why we've got this event happening at Bletchley Park this week.
1: Well, Dan, thanks for coming and telling us about it. You're welcome. That was Dan Milmo, The Guardian's global technology editor, who will be reporting from Bletchley Park today and tomorrow. You'll find that coverage on our website. And that is it for today. Before we go, today is in fact our fifth birthday, which we hope to mark with something joyous, but it's AI and the end of the world instead. Fine. It's been quite a ride in the world these past five years, a global pandemic, wars and natural disasters but also so many human stories of resistance and resilience, and it's those and the chance to tell them that makes us feel pretty hopeful. It's been such a privilege to get the chance to make sense of it together, every weekday for more than a thousand episodes. If you've been with us for five years or five weeks or just joining us, thank you so much for giving us your time and attention. And if you want to help us celebrate, you can do so by leaving a review on Spotify or whatever app you use to listen to Today in Focus. It helps other people find us and gives us a chance to know more about who's with us every day. And now that is it for today. I'm Michael Safi and this episode was produced by Sammy Kent. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. We're back with you tomorrow.
0: This is The Guardian.